We have been going through, uh, looking at the story of Exodus, God's leading his people exiting out of, uh, out of Egypt. And it's one epic, epic tale after another. We're in chapter 3, if, you, if you'd like to, you can turn to a Bible in your Bibles or in a Bible on the chairs to Exodus chapter 3. We'll start with verse 16 today. If, uh, if any of you need a Bible, feel free to take one of these on the chairs or let somebody... Let me know or somebody else and we'll get you one. So far, we've seen Moses go from 0 to 80 in two short chapters. 80 years old, not miles per hour. (laughs) He's about to go to 80 miles per hour. He gets called by God. He's meeting with God right now. Right in the middle of this meeting with God as he's at the burning bush, the bush that's Burning, but is not consumed, uh, not just by any angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, which is God himself. A theophany, God appearing to Moses, speaking to him. And it's at this point that Moses seems to get a little bit more boldness, but it's kind of surprising boldness. He, he becomes bold with God and fearful of men instead of being fearful, rightly fearful of God and bold among people, among men. And so he enters into some questions about this task that God is giving Moses, saying, you know, are you you sure you have the right man, or at least leading up to this, are you sure you have the right man? What, What happens if, 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 what about this? Yes, last week we looked at, God said, if they ask who I am, say, I am who I am. I have no beginning, no end. That's part of what it means, my name, Yahweh. It sounds like I am in Hebrew. And then picking up in verse 16, this is what God tells Moses, the instructions he gives him. It's a little bit of a long reading today. We're going to go 16 to, uh, to all the way to 4.9. Sit back. Uh, don't feel like you have to race through it. Just listen. God said to Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now, please, Let us go a three days journey into the wilderness. That we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor, 
and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we ask now that you would speak to us from this, your word. Just as you spoke to Moses, may we hear your voice. And may the words of my mouth now and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our great rescuer and worker of miracles. In Jesus' name, amen. We're back to noise this week. Last week there was a bike ride out there. It was amazingly silent. Verse 16, go and gather the elders of Israel The Hebrew language is not really that eloquent. It just says, go and gather the old of Israel. Go and speak to the ones who have grown grown old and have wisdom, the wisdom that comes with age. The wisdom that comes from experience, the type of wisdom that you go to somebody and you ask for counsel, for Understanding. A lot of us tend to think of Moses going it alone when he went to Pharaoh. We may think that, okay, he went with his brother Aaron, and the two of them went it alone. But did you hear the first instruction here that God gives to Moses? Is go and speak to the elders of the people. Go and speak to the people that the rest of the people respect. Moses wasn't called to go it alone, and neither are we. This is interesting. The word in the Hebrew is zane. It's not referring to zany people, but people who are older with wisdom. It has nothing to do with the English word zany. The interesting corresponding word in the Greek, some of you know, is presbuteros. Presbuteros. And I don't 
say this every week, but we're a part of the Presbyterian church, and that simply means an elder-led church. It means that we don't have a single pastor who calls all the shots somehow, uh, somewhat like we think of Moses, wrongly think of Moses doing, but we have a group of elders who govern the church, who, uh, who look after the interests of the church, not the interests in terms of property or money, but the interests of the people who shepherd the people. One of the ways you can pray for us, for me, as a church, is that God would provide for us elders, so that we would have more than just me, who's proclaiming the word of God each week. So Moses was called to go and speak to these elders. And this is what he said. He said, it was to say, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed and I promise. I have observed and I promise. I have seen your hardship, all of your struggles, all that you need, and I am not far from you, I'm near to you, and I promise that I will deliver you from it. I will rescue you from all of your difficulties here in Egypt. It's not to say that you won't still face difficulties, but I promise that I will be with you and I will bring you out. But Moses, Moses seems to have checked out as soon as he heard this. You ever, ever been talking with something? Let me put it the other way. You ever been listening to somebody you just check out? You hear something and the rest of what they say, you have no idea what they just said. Ever been talking with me and I checked out on you? It's probably <laughs> happened to you. I mean, we know what this is like. You know, something consumes our thought. And it seems that Moses was immediately consumed here with how in the world am I going to say this to the elders and they believe me? They're going to think that I'm zany. They're going to think I'm crazy. And so Moses, seemingly not having heard anything after verse 17, asks God, then in chapter 4, verse 1, but behold, They will not believe me or listen to my voice. When back in verse 18, this is what God said, and they will listen to your voice. This is bold. I mean, God just said, and they will listen to your voice. And Moses says, they aren't going to listen to my voice. They will listen to your voice. And then he says, they aren't going to listen. They're not going to believe me. They're going to think I'm crazy. Oftentimes when we check out, we check out with God and we don't hear the rest of his story. We hear something that sounds crazy. We hear something like Moses. He says, look, I did this 40 years ago. I had compassion on the Hebrew people and I tried to do something about it. And I was run out not only by Pharaoh, but by these Hebrew people you're calling me back to right now. This is insane. They're not going to believe me. But the first thing I want us to see out of this passage is really the need for us to listen, not just to the beginning, but to the whole story that God tells us. Oftentimes we listen to the beginning of the story 
of Genesis, of Exodus, and we hear something that's overwhelming, we hear God's law and we say, I can't do that, and we check out. And if we check out, we miss the rest of the story where God says, I know you can't follow it. It's not to say that it's not good for you. It is good for you. I'm not going to lessen it, but I know you can't follow it. Don't stop before you get to that point where God says, I am going to show you mercy. I am going to give you more and more ability to follow it. I am going to meet you in all of your weakest places. I'm only even going to meet you where you say to me, you're crazy. Where you check out. And where do we experience this? We find it in our places of work when we say, it's too much for me. The task seems too big or waiting for our work to get better or, or in our relationships with our, uh, with our spouse or with family members or, or in longing for forgiveness and reconciliation in certain relationships or for, uh, for the overwhelming burden that we feel in various areas of life, parenting, employment, marriage, parenting. You know, where, where do you feel that? Where, where are you tended, do you have a tendency to check out before you listen to the rest of the story that even in your failings when you're parenting, even in your failings where you're married, even if your failings at work, I am going to go with you. I am going to strengthen you for this. I may call you to something radically different. Moses was called from shepherding to going to present to Pharaoh. But I will give you what you need in the place where I have called you. And I will show you mercy. So it's at this point that Moses probably, as God's giving him these signs, has to go back to God a little bit sheepishly and say, I just checked out on you. Will you tell me again what, what it was you were calling me to do? What, tell me again what I was supposed to say to Pharaoh. And this is what he said. He said, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, I'm in verse 18, halfway through. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness. That we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now, this is kind of interesting. Did you catch this? Moses has a reason to ask a question here. Because God had just said, I will lead you out of this land of slavery and take you where? To the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and all those otherites. Right? And you will live there. But now God says to Moses, say to Pharaoh, we need to take a weekend jaunt. I mean, is there an inconsistency here? This is an important point because if it is inconsistent, then it's speaking directly to the character of God. Do you see the question? I mean, is there something questionable in the character of God here? Is he being misleading? Is he doing something else? Some people have suggested that uh, this is akin to a a lie in a time of war or danger where, for example, a a Nazi soldier knocks on the door and you're hiding Jews and you tell them, no, there's no one in here and it's a justifiable lie. 
Other people have said, well, this was a, a form of bartering between Moses and Pharaoh, or God and Pharaoh. Let's start with the, 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 the basic and we'll work our way up, which was a, a common form of, of bartering in the time. But I don't think that either of these things really do justice to why there's an inconsistency in the text here, a seeming inconsistency in the text. Pastor Philip Ryken, who I've uh, uh, really leaned on his sermons uh, to, to study these, uh, to do my own study in Exodus, said that these three days are really meant to expose Pharaoh's heart. The most important question to be asked here of Pharaoh is not, will you let the people go to Canaan and release them as slaves? That's not the most important question. That's a secondary question. The more fundamental question is, will you let these people go to worship God? You see the difference? Will you let these people go to worship God? Will you allow them religious freedom to practice the worship that the true God, the God of the universe, has called them to? Look, the Israelites could have continued to live in slavery in Egypt, Egypt and still worship God. I would venture to say that there were some, maybe even many, who over the last few hundred years had continued to worship God, even in recent time, under the bonds of slavery. We see this play out again later in the history of the story of redemption, when the Israelites, some 700 years later, 800 years later, are again taken captive. And they're taken to the city of Babylon. And there, they continue to worship God. There are many around the world who have continued to worship God even in a state of slavery, even in a condition of slavery. And so this was the question posed to Pharaoh directly from God. Will you let my people worship me as I want them to worship me. Because if you will not, woe to you. In fact, woe to anybody who will not let people under their authority worship God as God has told them to worship him. This is the most dangerous place of all. It's dangerous to reject God's salvation. It's even more dangerous to keep others from being able to worship God as God has called them to. If you want to get some idea of the severity of this, turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. If you ever want to have a depressing quiet time in the morning, read Matthew chapter 23. Because in this, Jesus, who is speaking 
to the Pharisees and scribes, he says, says at the very beginning, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Now the Pharisees were the people who were supposedly the most familiar with God's laws and worked the hardest to obey those laws. They were the people they looked the they were the people that other people looked to as examples of holiness. And the scribes were the ones who knew how to write, who knew how to read and they could transcribe the biblical text. They knew how to read God's word. They they knew the word. They were in places of authority. And here's what it says that they did so the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So Practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their their, their phylacteries broad and their their fringes long. Jesus goes on to say, woe to them. Verse 13, he continues, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You keep other people from worshiping me, from entering my kingdom, by your self-righteous practices. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And he just goes on to say, woe, woe, woe. And he's talking to the people who would keep other people from worshiping God. Not just any people, the leaders who would keep other people from worshiping God. This is a dangerous place to be. It's the place where Pharaoh was. And interestingly, it doesn't seem to be the place where the majority of the Egyptians were. Do you notice? Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do it. Pharaoh is in this dangerous place. But did you hear what the rest of the Egyptians did? Verse 21 of chapter 33, back in Exodus. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. It says, and so you shall plunder them, but they weren't plundered in the sense of being conquered and then stolen from They were plundered in the sense of giving freely to God's people. They gave. The rest of the Egyptians, who knows how many of them might have responded to God himself. It's tough to say that we really don't see. But here they responded to God in very stark contrast to Pharaoh who rejected God and kept people from worshiping God. Now, I want to take a minute to describe to you what it was that the people were called to go and do on this mountain of God. Earlier, God said, bring the people to this mountain 
and hear, worship me. Now in our, our passage today, verse 18 says, that, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And we read that word sacrifice and we have all kinds of images that come up. I mean, what do you think of when I say, and sacrifice to God? I, I'll tell you one thing that I think of. I was in Turkey a number of years ago and they described how once a year, the Turkish people as part of their religious practices would offer a sacrifice to God. But they wouldn't do it at a, a temple or some central place. They would each do it at their home. And so, and so literally the streets would be flowing with the blood of the animals that they were sacrificing. I mean, is that the picture that you get when you think of sacrifice? Is, is it sort of an archaic practice that just, that, that just sounds like, ooh, why, why did they do that? What, what did that mean? And so we're, we're kind of comfortable oftentimes that, that God has said, okay, Jesus offered the last sacrifice and we don't have to offer any more sacrifices. Thank God we don't have to practice this archaic thing. If, if that's your view of sacrifices, I, I want to I push you, I want to challenge you because it's not what a sacrifice was. I, I mean, first off, when God's people were called to offer sacrifices, they offered it at one place. And that was the meeting place with God. Either at the mountain here, or at the tabernacle that was the tent of meeting with God, or at the temple. It wasn't just practiced willy-nilly all around the place. One place, and they even had channels to direct the blood and, and, and to contain. A sacrifice was really a place where community happened. A sacrifice was a place where a meeting happened, or different types of meetings happened. You know, there, there are three kind of categories of sacrifice in the Old Testament. If you ever want a, 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 another difficult, quiet time, read the book of Leviticus. And it describes these sacrifices. And I think the, the book of Leviticus is a, a very overlooked book because we don't understand it. It's foreign to us. But these are, these are the three basic types of sacrifice. first one was a sacrifice that was offered entirely to God. An animal was brought and it was put on an altar and the whole animal was burned there on the altar and the smoke was said to have risen to God. It was called a whole burnt offering. And this sacrifice was meant as a way of showing that there was, there was reconciliation between God and people. It was entirely directed to God. The second type of sacrifice was those, were those that were brought as, as uh, I won't go into all the detail. They were, they were offered again as, as a way of saying, I'm sorry to God, but they weren't burned entirely on the altar. Some of the parts of the animal were burned entirely on the altar, but then other parts were eaten by the people who worked at the temple. It was in part a provision for the leaders of God's people. It was an offering that has a, a similar parallel to the offering that we bring on Sundays that pays the salary of the pastor and the worship leaders and the other workers of the church. It was a way that the people were reconciled to God and offered a, a, 
an offering to the, the people that God had called to be their leaders. Remember in Hebrews earlier, spoke of leaders, and we're going to come back to that in just a second. The third type of offering, most fascinating at all, was called the peace offering. And in this, the people brought an animal. Bear in mind, the animals were usually too big to eat all in one family. The people brought an animal. A smaller portion still was offered as a as an offering to God, it was oftentimes the parts that were not to be eaten of the animal. And then not just the priests and the leaders of the temple, but the people themselves got to eat this offering. It was like a potluck. They brought it, and they got to eat not just with the priests, but they got to eat with God. They got to experience the community of people, And so when the people would come to Jerusalem from far away for festivals, it was the sacrifice of the peace offering that was providing the meal for the people. That was how they enjoyed a reminder of their reconciliation with God and with one another. The sacrifices were a time of celebration, mourning, that led to even greater celebration. I think we have some parallels here, even when we bring snacks and coffee or food to the potluck or food to a picnic that we have. These are continuations of this peace offering. And the other place that reminds us of that is when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and God invites us to his table. bring out one more point here. Did you notice that I didn't say that there was a corresponding offering to the whole burnt offering? To that first type of sacrifice? Anybody wonder, is there a corresponding offering to the whole burnt offering? Offerings offered entirely to God? You remember that passage I read to you from Hebrews 13 earlier? It talked about all these things that we were to do as believers in Christ, in response. Here's what that passage goes on to say. Picking up in verse 14. For, we, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. He continues, New Testament era, to use the language of sacrifice. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Hear these parallels? All kinds of parallels here. The leaders who have to give an account. The shepherds and the leaders who keep you from God. The pharaohs. The leaders who have to give you account. The sacrifices that are continually to be offered to God, not in the form of an animal sacrifice, but in a a new form of offering. In our offerings that we give to the church, to the work of the pastors. In our offerings that we give to one another as we bring food and we share things with one another. 
And there's even a continuation of the whole burnt offering. Matthew 25. We're going all over the place today. Hope you're staying with me. Matthew 25, verse 34. When is it that we offer an offering to God that's entirely offered to Him? That seems to have no tangible result. I mean, when you give an offering, when you give to somebody else, you kind of think, well, maybe I'll get something in return, right? Especially within the congregation. I'm bringing something for the meal, they're bringing something for the meal. For the meal. When you give to the church, the work of the church, well, I'm getting the people leading music and the, the pastor who's teaching me, I'm getting something. When do we offer solely to God? Jesus was using a parable. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. Remember that from Hebrews 13. And you came to me. But then the righteous, that is the self-righteous, the Pharisees and whatnot, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. can't say it any more plainly than this. Our whole burnt offering today is when we give to the poor. When we give to those who we don't expect to get anything back from. This has been a tradition of the church from the very beginning to offer what some call alms. To to give generously to those in need when we can't tangibly see anything coming back to us. These are the sacrifices of God today. The people went to offer these other sacrifices, these these other sacrifices on the mount, but they were essentially the same thing, just in different form. They were providing for the leaders of God's people. They were providing for one another and sharing their resources. And they were also providing for the poor and offering sacrifices entirely to God. Now Moses, Moses is starting to get it. But Moses still needed signs himself. God had said earlier, I will give Pharaoh these signs and wonders. But Moses said, no, give me the signs and wonders. I don't believe you. So God gave Moses two signs. just want to say something brief about each of those. The first one was that he turned his staff into a snake. Now this wasn't just Moses seeing things. Moses actually recoiled and was fearful to grab that snake when God told him to. And God uses these kind of image, images all through Exodus. We'll see it again and again to say, I am powerful over Pharaoh. He uses all kinds of Egyptian images. And one of the things that Pharaoh was famous for having was a, 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 a serpent, a, a cobra, a deadly snake on his crown and on 
some of his staffs. The Egyptian magicians would have their own staffs, staffs changed to a snake by some sleight of hand, don't know exactly how, but God is saying, I am going to be powerful over Pharaoh, and here's what I'm showing you. I can handle the snake, and I'm going to give you the ability to handle it too. Now, the text doesn't quite bring this out in English, but God said, reach out and grab that snake by the hand and grab it with bullet, grab onto it, grab it by the tail. And then it says, Moses timidly reached out and got it, pulled it back, and it became a staff again. It's there in the Hebrew. Moses still wasn't convinced, and so he said, put your hand inside your cloak, and he pulls it out of his leprous, and he puts it back in, as if to say, Remember how I said I was going to accomplish this? It's not by your powerful hand. It's by my mighty hand. It's by my mighty hand that I will do this, but I will use your hand in the process. God is giving signs that are meaningful to Moses. And they're still meaningful for us. Let me, let me conclude this by saying this. Do you remember, I mean, Jesus is pretty hard on people, it seems like, often. Do you remember when he says in Mark, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? You know, what, what he's saying is essentially not just the rich have a hard time. He's saying, look, everybody has a hard time entering the kingdom of God. Every, no one is good enough to enter the kingdom of God. No one has offered the sacrifices even. I mean, God gave the sacrifices a way of atoning for sin. No one has even offered the sacrifices required by God. Except Jesus has. Jesus has offered the sacrifice that was required by God and he shared that sacrifice with all of us. You know, Moses didn't need more signs. God was speaking to him right there from a burning bush. He heard God's voice. He, he saw it, but, but he asked for more signs. Have you ever asked God for more signs when you didn't really need them? You knew what he needed. You knew what he was asking. Jesus performed thousands of miracles in order to say, I'm going to keep on giving you these signs. You don't need them, but I'm going to give them to you to, to prove who I am. Thousands of signs so, so that we would believe that he was a better Moses, that he was the one who was truly leading people out, out of slavery and into freedom. Or maybe, worse yet, you've stood in the place of Pharaoh and the scribes of Pharisees and led people away from God. I mean, I'm a leader of God's people. Surely I have said wrong things before. I am guilty of these things. Maybe you have too. And even to you, God says, grace I give to you if you believe that Jesus has offered this sacrifice, that Jesus' signs prove that he was the Christ. Grace I give to you 
It's proven in a Pharisee named Saul who persecuted the church and kept hundreds, maybe thousands of people from worshiping God. And God showed up to him. And God said, I want you to be one of my shepherds. Believe in me. Believe in Jesus. And he believed. And he became the Apostle Paul and led many people. And he's known as the Apostle of Grace, who understood what grace was and how it had been extended to him. Jesus said, all these things are impossible with man, but with God all things are possible. And I have won a way for you to be forgiven for each of these sins. Reconciled to me, enabled to offer these sacrifices as a spiritual worship, Spiritual not being some, just the prayers, just the things we think, just the things we sing, but the things we do in everyday life, in our offerings, in our generosity, in our sacrifices, because Jesus has sacrificed for us. Amen. We pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are a leader who brings us in to worship you. Will you continue to strengthen our worship that it would be made holy, that it would be acceptable in your sight, imperfect as it is, because you have made it perfect and redeemed us. And may we follow you, believe you, listen to you in all of our life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.